You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Western and Southern Financial Group. Put our financial strength behind you. It's easy to get started. Visit westernsouthern.com. Now batting, number one in our hearts. At least he'd like to think so. It's the Jim Day Podcast. A pleasant hello to everyone out there in podcast land. And thank you so much for checking us out and clicking on this bad boy. And as we do periodically, we like to compile a best of episode. And in this case... The Reds have a couple of new or newer play-by-play voices in their broadcast booths. That being Tommy Thrall on the radio side, John Sadak on the TV side, who both of which sat down and had some very insightful conversations. And what you are about to hear is the best of both of those podcasts. We're welcoming in someone today that is now, I proudly call him, colleague. And he is new to the Reds television network, we'll call it. Valley Sports Ohio, to be more official. And that will be John Sadak. How are we doing? I am great. I, I've always seen your palatial estate, your executive <laughs> here, office here studio from afar. To here we go. Inside of it, you know, on the throne is its own piece of wonder. Where is John Sadak from? Where were you born? So, by the way, this is going to be good for me because we've gotten to know each other a lot, and we've talked a lot, obviously. We work together and spend a lot of hours together, but I don't truly know you yet, so this is going to be good for me, too. Like, I don't have any idea where you were born. This could be a scary experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was born in New York City. Uh, my family is all from New York, from uh, my mom's side, from the Highbridge area of the Bronx, right by Yankee Stadium. My dad began his childhood there, and then they moved to Yonkers. Uh, so my mom was still working at a hospital uh, very close to Yankee Stadium, and I was born at the hospital she worked at. Uh, but they lived already in northern New Jersey, a town called Edgewater, which is right next to the George Washington Bridge. Yeah. Um, so that's where I lived uh, through the almost the end of third grade. That was most of my early formative childhood memories. And then we moved down the shore, uh, as they say in the New Jersey vernacular, not to the beach, down the shore, to Brick, New Jersey, uh, adjacent to Tom's River, home of, of Todd Frazier. There you uh, go, yeah. And uh, that's where I was uh, through my high school days. Very nice. So... You say that you, you say you're from the Bronx. Do you say you're from New York? Do you say you're from New Jersey? I would well, to be honest, these days I say I'm from Delaware because I've lived there for the last 15 years. Yeah. That's where our daughter was born. I say that I grew up in New Jersey, and I've lived in Delaware for the last 15 years before moving to Cincinnati. But you could sound tougher if you say I was born in the Bronx. <laughs> I, I, I suppose. Technically, I was actually born in Manhattan. It was the very ah, upper reaches of okay. Manhattan. There you go. So every time I hear Manhattan, though, I think of the Muppets and the you know the Muppets in Manhattan, Gil and Phil and, and Kermit. <laughs> Kermit the Frog. That's pretty good. That was just off the top of my head, actually. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. So you got you're a Yankees fan, which uh, makes you very spoiled. 
Well, I was a Yankees fan. <laughs> I, I now work for the Cincinnati Reds, so I have a new baseball team. But yes, right. I, I grew up. I grew up Yankees, Knicks, Rangers, Giants. Those were my my teams of of fandom and pro sports growing up. Now, what's the the was it because you were so close to the Giants? I mean, there's this big choice. Are you Yankees? Are you Mets? Are you Giants? Are you Jets? So was it family influence? Overwhelmingly, yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, but my uncle, my mom's brother, was a Mets fan. So I actually went to Mets games as a kid with him. I, I saw a doubleheader against the Padres. Daryl Strawberry homered in both games. Um, and to be honest, in the most impressionable days of my youth, the Mets were better you know the Yankees were good but not great for right. most of the 80s their great right. years I was two and three years old so right. I, I don't really remember them um but yeah my, my family uh you know my, my mom's family was literally blocks from Yankee Stadium and then while my dad was living in Yonkers by his teenage years my great uncle Jimmy owned a bar that all the umpires used to go to from Yankee Stadium hey it's called Uncle Jimmy's Bar <laughs> I love that <laughs> so yeah it was a place called the Melody in Inwood in Upper Manhattan uh, which is very close and uh, so yeah I, I mean I, I grew up going to games my my dad was a season ticket holder in 77 and 78 um my first childhood memory is being on my dad's shoulders at dave rigetti's no hitter fourth of july 83 oh wow cool. struck out wade boggs yeah. for the final out very nice now were you did you have the pipes back then uh definitely not did you no. come out of the womb saying <laughs> hey how you doing welcome world to be honest my my <laughs> father has a very new york accented voice he can't say the word three it's tree uh, but his voice is far more powerful and resonant than mine, and what? I never, I never I don't know met. If that's possible. Oh, it's, I mean, it scared the heck out of me for most of my <laughs> youth. <laughs> and and his dad, uh, his dad was six four, you know, had served in World War II. Oh, uh, was wow. a very rough and tumble Eastern European guy mm -hmm. uh, who I never met. He passed before I was born, and I've been told that he was even uh, of greater stature and more imposing. Right. And then, you know, here I am just kind of a doughy play-by-play -play guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> Did you always – was it a, your dream to be a broadcaster or even more specifically to be a play-by-play -play guy? No. Uh, I mean, when I was really young, I can crystal remember asking my mom, uh, how do the calendars work? This is when I was like five years old. Uh, is anybody a pro football, baseball, and basketball player? Because I'd like to play all three professionally. Um, and, you know, she got to tap me on the head like, hey, you don't have to worry about that. You're, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean. To make my... it to one is tough. <laughs> <laughs> to do the idea of playing was my first, you know, thought. And by the time I was six, seven years old, just playing rec league ball, I loved playing. I knew I was not good. Um, I, I wanted to work in math and science. That's where I excelled. You know, I, I played JV hockey in high school. I played rec league basketball, rec league football, rec league everything. And I was a below average to terrible player in most. Uh, but the only varsity letter I had in high school was on math team. And so I, I always thought that's what I wanted to do. I, I have an aunt, my father's sister, uh, worked on the original Mars rover. And uh, she was an electrical engineer, and her husband was a mechanical engineer. Um, so I, I thought I wanted to be an engineer. And then I took an electricity class in high school, and I aced all the tests. But when it came to actually building something, like something as simple as a light dimmer switch, I mean, that doesn't work to this day. <laughs> I, I, was, I have no mechanical aptitude. I cannot fix anything. Like, eh, engineering's probably a bad idea if I can't do some basic freshman year in high school project. Um, 
And then I thought physics. I loved physics. I loved space. I, I still do. Um, and so I, I read about it constantly. And that's what I thought I wanted to do when I took my SAT. And you, you can have it at the time, at least you could put down three majors of choice so that your scores are sent to every school in America and schools that have those specific programs. If your score lines up with what they want, they send you letters. Right. I only put down one major. I just put down astrophysics and, uh, and I got a lot of letters and, uh, but the more I investigated the job, and this is pre-internet, you know, I was a senior in high school class in 96. I'm reading these like giant like phone book catalogs of, of job descriptions and of colleges as well. And the job description for astrophysicists, the more I investigated, you didn't make great money, but you had to get a terminal degree. You have to get a doctorate. You're going to be in school forever. So you're going to come out with some form of debt, no matter what scholarship help you get. And uh, it's going to take a while to be made whole. And you don't do the nerdy research stuff that I thought I wanted to do. You're basically begging for money, looking for grant funding, you're side hustling at an observatory, or a lot of the times you're teaching. And so the idea of, so for a sliver of every three or five years, I'd be part of a team doing an answer. It didn't make sense. And I, I was so driven my whole life. I was rudderless. This was my senior year of high school. I came to this realization. And uh, I only stumbled upon sports because of a, a history project in high school. Really? Wow. I was I was in my AP history class, and uh, it was a little bit of butt-kissing to the teacher because I, I knew some of the, the things that he liked. And we had to do a presentation on something related to uh, the last hundred years of America. And so my choice was I was going to explore um, whether – uh, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier was representative of America at the time or if it ushered in and influenced the change of America at the time. And the, the seminal research piece in that presentation was the Sports Illustrated when Arthur Ashe was named Sportsman of the Year mm -hmm. um, and what he went through in his life on the tennis right. tour. And he referenced Jackie a lot. Um, it was a great piece. Uh, by coincidence, because I discovered this issue that was already at the time four years old, they had a physical hard copy in our high school library. There happened to be this big spread on ESPN Sports Center, which at the time was becoming a major pop cultural phenomenon. And I loved Sports Center. It would be on in our homeroom in high school. And me and my friends, it would be kind of a test to see who could memorize the catchphrases or how many points Jordan had or uh, what highlight is going to be third. Because uh, they would usually roll it, you know, every right. half hour. And, um, and, I started reading about all the other jobs that existed beyond the announcer. Who's the director? What do they do? What's the graphics person do? And then there was a sidebar column that included a lot about the production assistant. Lowest rung on the totem pole, making no money, hustling your butt off, working 80-hour weeks. And that was my aha moment. I said, I know I can do that job. And I know I can get that job. I could realize even then that nobody stays in that job for an appreciable amount of time. You move up or you get out. So if I just knock on the door long enough, it, it might take until I'm 23, 25, whatever. I can get in. Right. And if I can get in, then I can move up. And my dream would be to be on air, but I would readily love just to work covering sports, whether I'm a camera person or a producer or an associate director, whatever. I just want to be part of it in some way. And that's when I decided that's what I wanted to do. 
Wow, that's interesting. Well, you and I have a lot in common, the space thing, but we have a lot not in common as well because I got into broadcasting to avoid the math classes. <laughs> <laughs> the tough ones, at least. I mean, I just fully admit it. I looked at the curriculum. I'm like, there is no way I'm surviving in that algebra class. Physics, no chance. This, no way. So, like, oh, communications. Oh, beautiful. Just the basic math classes. <laughs> yes, I'm in. Has it been what you expected? Uh, better. Uh, better, really? Better, yes. yes. In what ways? Um, it's so invigorating to do games every day that people care about. Yeah. You know, working nationally gives you a taste of that to some extent, too. But you don't. You're, you're not dealing directly with the fan bases in the right. same way, so it's it's a little more detached. You, you just know. have them part-time for that night. You, yeah. You're kind of parachuting in. You're, yeah. you're, you're doing a ton of research. You're invested. You care. But then it's on to the next game. Then you're back home. Yeah. Where this is a way of life. You know, this is, this is what I hope to do until I, I die and they drag my carcass out of the booth. You know, like, I, I love doing this. And, and to me, that's one of the biggest differences – between Major League Baseball and the minors. And I loved calling minor league baseball. It's a great training ground. But the games don't have that same heft in any right. way. You know, it's the right. import. Even if your team is bad and they're losing or they're great, it doesn't matter. Every game matters. Right. The plays matter. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. I wish you got to experience the real opening day at Cincinnati. And I hope next year, fingers crossed, that we get a parade, we get just all the festivities, we get a full house. I just hope it happens. However, until you experience that, what was opening day like? First of all, you had that red jacket on. It was like, wow, <laughs> check him out. He's in that bright red jacket there. I walked in. I'm like, oh, who's what Reds Hall of Famers in here? Oh, it's John. <laughs> so you're in a major league booth. It's opening day, and your broadcast partner is a Hall of Famer, Barry Larkin. Did you have to take a moment? Was there any moment where you're like, wow? Oh, yeah. Like pretty much the whole day. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's probably, uh, and I think maybe you would share this, I would akin it most closely to my wedding day. And those cliches about how the day goes so fast, oh, make yeah. sure you take the time. Like, yeah. It was almost a carbon copy like that, you know, and that same you know, heartbeat flutter and that sense of affection and love, you know, in this case for a vocation and a sport that I, I've adored from, you know, uh, childhood, even though I didn't want to be an announcer. I didn't want to be an announcer in, in large part because I didn't think it was attainable. I, I didn't think that was a realistic goal. Um, but I, I always loved watching the announcers. I loved the the drama that they could set up and deliver, um, you know, both the, the local guys in the greater New York area and the, and the national voices. Um, yeah, it was, it didn't really set in. I, I, I almost had an out of body kind of, you know, experience with it until I started getting flooded with text messages and emails from friends that were sending screenshots of me alongside Barry Larkin right. and kind of seeing it third person that way was yeah. like, Holy cow, this is really happening. <laughs> <laughs> when did you realize, was it like the second broadcast where you realized, like, this is so cool doing games with Barry, but the rest of the crew, God, these guys are nerds. <laughs> it was really, I mean, my goal the entire time has been on to be on the Gym Day podcast. Oh, I mean, that was, that was from right, You're already on it. You don't have to butter me up. You're already here. <laughs> we have a great crew. I mean, and that's. 
that's one of the other things that I get spoiled with um, in a good way. Uh, because even working nationally, it can vary wildly, city yeah. to city. Oh, yeah. How many games are going on that night? You know, yeah. you have some great crews and awesome people, and then sometimes there's a there's a weak link in some way that right. you know everybody. And this is more for the truck, but then even as the announcer, you can notice or it impacts the game in some way. And and uh, our crew is not only sensational at what they do, you know, in the the detail of of how they cover the game and their working knowledge and immediate, you know, frame of reference for right. how things shape up. But th- they get along. Like, you know, we can give each other crap and, you know, we can have fun with each other. And, and I love that. I love that it is a, a sense of family. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you went from buttering me up to talking about the weak link. Like, right away. I just, it's very hurtful that we went that quickly. Um. What do you think? I ask this with all due respect, um, but Northeast people have this reputation of maybe being a little harder edged. Cincinnati's kind of laid back, you know. It's Midwest. So, what were your what are your impressions of the town? I I love Cincinnati. It uh it actually feels a lot like Delaware. Um, Yes, the great, especially northern New Jersey, where the first part of my childhood was. Yeah. I mean, that is that's what it is. It's it's an extension of New York City. Right. It's, it's head down. I'm going where I'm going, and it's it's not with any like injurious, you know. Yeah, no, um, I don't. I, I like I said, I mean it with all due respect. But it's, it's just a different. It's different very area. matter of fact. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I first moved to and lived in Atlanta, uh, six of the eight people in my unit in the apartment complex were from the greater New York, New Jersey area. So that felt somewhat similar. But I'd find myself walking around and people would just say hello. And somebody, I mean, something that sounds so simple. To me, when somebody I don't know engages me that way on the street, I immediately get defensive. Like, what's your angle? Is there somebody else? I start looking around. Like, I, I don't think I should respond. They're just saying hello. They're just yeah. saying good morning. Yeah, right. it's, there's no other purpose to just being nice. Um, and that took a while <laughs> to get no used other to. purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but when I moved to Delaware, Delaware and Cincinnati culturally are very similar. Very similar. Even down to – so in the, all the places I've lived in the country, these are the only two areas where I go to a party – or you're in some form of social setting and you meet somebody for the first time and you're making that BS small talk that you always do and you ask, all right, where'd you go to school? Everywhere else I've lived, a working professional college educated would say where they went to college. But in Cincinnati and in Delaware, even if you have a doctorate from Harvard, you're going to say, oh, I went to St. X. Or in Delaware, you're going to say, uh, I went to Sally's. Or yeah. I went to Ursuline. Or, and there's an identity oh, yeah. that comes with that high school affiliation yeah people can size you up immediately all right well you're probably into this and your family's probably like that and your means are probably like this you're into this and exactly the same and i i think because of that i lived in delaware for 15 years it the the i love it because i i love delaware delaware has that's why i tell people when i meet them i would say before i moved here i'm from delaware right i've lived there for 15 years um and it's made the transition seamless because the, the two areas are incredibly similar. That's great. Who were the announcers you really liked? Uh, I love Marv. You know, I, I grew up a yes! Knicks Rangers fan. Yeah. Um, so I thought Marv was excellent. I loved watching him the NBA on NBC. And um, I love Bob Costas uh, because he was so smart. 
and he had a, a, a command of the language and a way to. He um, really ticks me off. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're like, how can someone be so polished and so smart and so good? The the crazy thing so about, versatile about him is like I hear the secondhand stories about when particularly when he would anchor for the Olympics yeah. and you're dealing with all these pronunciation oh, difficulties and sports with these weird rules and and he with very minimal help or notes from others would just kind of on the fly nail it constant that's I don't think the listener can totally understand or appreciate it's it's not roofing it's not hard in that sense it's yeah. not physically grinding in that right. same meant but it is hard to do that kind of a job that well. You can yeah. do it okay, right. but to do it well, you that guy's skilled. He's really good. There's no, has he ever stumbled? Never heard it. Have you ever heard him heard stumble? It. <laughs> it, maybe. But I mean, I, I do it all the time. <laughs> I got to read a promo. I'm like, <laughs> sorry, first day with a new tongue. And he's like, I don't think I've ever seen him mess up. Yeah, the uh, I mean, and there were guys that I just loved listening to. I mean, I love listening to Phil Rizzuto, yeah. just because he's Phil Rizzuto. You know, like yeah. Don Mattingly's up, the bases are loaded, Yanks are down. You know, three. He hits a grand slam into the upper deck, and he's telling a story about the you know a steak sandwich with peppers. And so I was down on Fifty Third Street, and there's a fly ball to deep left field that's gone <laughs> Yanks lead. So the peppers, you gotta go. You gotta ask for the red pepper. <laughs> Love that, <laughs> and I, I just I I adored it. But the the guy that I probably um, before I decided I wanted to embark upon the path, the guy whose job I love the idea of was a guy named Al Troutwig, who oh, works yeah. works nationally doing mm-hmm. uh, gymnastics on the Olympics. Um, Al, when MSG Network Madison it's Square Garden Network, too, right? Yes, he all, yes. But he would uh, he would work on the New York Rangers, yeah. the New York Knicks, mm-hmm. and the New York Yankees. We're all on that network, plus studio programming for the New York Giants and Jets. And he got to cover all the teams. Yeah. And he did some play-by-play with the Yanks. Very talented. Very and, versatile. Uh, and I just thought, like, that's so cool. Like He gets yeah. to be around all of my favorite teams. Right. Like, and, and that was part of my inspiration for well, – I loved baseball. And baseball mm-hmm. was my first sports love. But at the same time, I like other sports too. There are positives to to football. There are positives to basketball that that baseball doesn't possess. And I love being able to experience those rhythms and cadences. And even more so now as an announcer, calling each of those sports, particularly TV versus radio, the skill set, the preparation, the execution, it's the same job title, but they're all very different. Very much so. Phil Rizzuto, did you you know the WW and the scorebook stories? Wasn't watching. <laughs> I just love that. I mean, that's just, hey, Phil, what what did such and such do in the second? WW wasn't watching. I mean, how good is that? He puts WW in his scorebook. He would leave games. He was terrified of thunderstorms. Yes. And it was like a running gag. They would show the GW like, oh, there's Phil. He's driving home in the fifth inning. We're in a rain delay. Oh, man, I love it. Which sport is the hardest to call for you? Um, I think the hardest to do well is baseball on the radio. Yeah. Uh, Because it's so much of it is you. You know, most of the other sports, there are challenges with sports that are super fast, like a a hurry-up offense, the Chip Kelly, Oregon football team. I did a game of theirs against Michigan State. That was really challenging. They rotate so many players. Um, The uh, hockey can be challenging in that same way. Very challenging. Uh, But to me, the hardest, 
you can eventually build to a point where that's not as hard if you yeah. practice at it. Um, baseball on the radio is 15 minutes bald and play action, and the rest is you. Oh, yeah. And that's such a blank canvas, and it's a great opportunity, but it's also an immeasurable challenge mm -hmm. to do it every single day. I, I think it's the hardest to do well. TV is a – I mean, it's, it's pretty close, baseball. TV and radio, I mean, it's it's very similar, although you lean on your color guy a lot more on TV. Yeah, it's I, – I think, you know, and also you know, we're blessed in Cincinnati that Jeff Brantley is the, the radio analyst. Mm -hmm. Most – Major League Baseball teams, you got two play-by-play -play guys. Right. Very few travel a, a highly mm. skilled former player, coach, right. manager in, to, to handle that role. Um, so, yeah, I, I think on TV, because you do have an analyst who I, I would think all of them played at the highest level. I, I can't readily think of one that, that wasn't a regular Major League player that's the lead analyst on a Major League telecast. Right. And the support structure of, you know, TV is a team sport, you yeah. know? We have a guy like you who can bring your experience and knowledge and your humor so and your storytelling. The viewers. <laughs> this guy, you know, you're listening to this podcast that you love Jim Day as much as me, and it's his self-deprecation that endears him well, to us all. Well, that's another the thing that we have in common because you're very self-deprecating as well. I mean, I'm self-deprecating because I mean, honestly, look at me. <laughs> you get it, right? <laughs> But you're also very self-deprecating on the air. Like, I might take it to the extreme sometimes. Some people are like, all right, shut up. Okay, we know. You get it. But um, it kind of makes you human, though. It does. I mean, I think, uh, I think number one, that's just kind of what life in my house was like. You know, like, our, our dad was always oh, yeah. poking at us. I mean, the, I was the young, I'm the youngest of five. He still killed. <laughs> he still, to this day, will bring up. I had a history report in, like, fourth grade or whatever and it was uh studying like the viking era and eric the red um and there was also a man eric by the name davis of, uh <laughs> not, not 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 that man i know when you Different say kind eric, of power and speed. when you say eric the red in these parts you're like oh eric davis so there's eric the red and there's also leif erickson two totally separate people well i blurred them together in rehashing part of my story to my dad is eric the leaf and he will still bring that up. Really? I was like eight years old. Like, how's Eric the Leaf doing? <laughs> so that it's easiest good. when you can bring it up yourself yeah. and poke fun at yourself first. Yeah. And, uh, and, and to show people that, you know, like, uh, I'm a, just a person, you know. Right. And, um, I, I also think in the clubhouse life, and you know this way better than I do. I mean, you've lived it. The major league clubhouse to me is way different than what I've largely I vaguely remember it. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get you back in there. Don't get me going, but goodness gracious! But it's it's to to the outsider, to the to the uh, undoctrinated, it's rough. Yeah. And the truth is, it's not. The more you're there, and the more you wear it, and the more you show you can give it back, and and you ride that right line, and you're respectful about it, but you stand up for yourself. It actually is a, a very welcoming, fun, awesome place. Oh, yeah. But to the outsider that watches one interaction. You know, it can look, and you kind of need to be that way. Yeah. Life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. 
Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. We're going to the dark side. As one Hall of Fame broadcaster used to say about the TV side was the dark side. Well, I'm going to reverse it and say we're going to the dark side. We're going to the radio side today. <laughs> I'm getting a chuckle from the guest. And that would be the, the Tommy Thrall. The big league side. We're going the, to the big the league varsity side. side. The, <laughs> we are going to the varsity level. We've just been called up to varsity. None of this small-time TV stuff. We're going to the radio booth with Red's play-by-play man. Can I call you the voice of the Reds now? It really makes me uncomfortable. Why? I don't know, but it, it really does. Uh, I mean, you can call me whatever you want, but I... And I do. <laughs> you know, trust me, you do. Yeah. Most of it probably not arable for this uh, forum, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've... Um, yeah, I, I think part of it is the fact that I still look at, at Marty as the voice of the Reds. Who? Yeah, some fella that was sitting in that chair for 46 years. What was his name? Marty? Mar- Marty, I believe. Oh, okay. Mar- Martin? Fra- okay. Francis, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, um, no, that that's part of it. And then, you know, it's not just me in there. It's Jeff, too, or Chris. So, yeah. You're the that's, voice. <laughs> it's it, it's, it's it, your gig now, man. Yeah, but it's 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 still it's still crazy to think about. Like, it... it yeah. I, I'm still waiting for it to hit me, to be honest. Well, how I mean, it's you know they'd say taking over for a legend is not easy, because I mean, forty six years, you get used to one voice, and one way that he does the games, and it was as unique as it gets. That breed has died now, not literally, figuratively. <laughs> so you know, fans, it, that transition, it, it's just weird for fans after forty six years. So, did you have a plan going in about that? No, of course not. <laughs> Come on. No, I um I, I really think the biggest thing was just looking at it and saying, I'm not him. I'm not Marty. I, I can't be Marty. So all I can be is me. Anytime you try to be somebody you're not, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, that is something that I struggled with for a long time coming up the ranks. I, I think that was the hardest thing for me to overcome was becoming myself as a broadcaster. I grew up listening to the same guy forever. I mean, it was, I grew up in Kansas City. I listened to Denny Matthews. Um, he's still there. And it's just. Well, would it be weird for you to hear someone else calling a Kansas City Royals game? Yeah. I mean, the first time that's, I that's remember. That's what it's like. Yeah, no, yeah. there's no question. So I, I understood what it was like for, yeah. for Reds fans. There's no no question. Uh, but you can't get caught up in all that. But, but you know, you grow up knowing what you want to do. You, you listen uh, really carefully to to broadcast and it's you you get to a point where you can't just listen to the same broadcast all the time you have to listen to others and I I listen to Marty and Joe and Marty and and Jeff um just you know once once it became available to where you could listen online I would listen to all kinds of different broadcasts Mm -hmm. and um you you find some that you really really like uh I would come home from games when I was in the Midwest League and and turn on the Giants games because I loved listening to John Miller but you listen to somebody too much and and you start to become not them in a way but your your style almost replicates what they're doing and you can't do that you have to be your own person so 
I guess I'm getting what I'm getting at is I it took me so long to just become who I am as a broadcaster and it's it's really should be the same person as who I am off the air. I, I think if people listen to me, um, hopefully when they meet me in person, they'd be like, oh, that's the same guy. And and you don't want it to be somebody different. So yeah. that's all I knew how to be was just myself. And, um, you know, you get wrapped up in everything else and you're just going to I mean, it could be paralyzing. So, yeah. All right, you said uh, you just wanted to be yourself. So I will ask you this question. Who is Tommy Thrall? <laughs> well, I'm definitely somebody that doesn't take myself too seriously. I can promise you that. That's probably why we get along. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's a big reason. <laughs> uh, no, I just I, – I, I love the game of baseball. I've, I've always had um, this love of radio. And it was – when I was a kid – <clears throat> when I was a kid, this was a way to combine both of my passions. Um, you know, I like, I like to be outside. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, that's a very hard question to ask somebody. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> it's, it's the hardest one to ask. Um, it's like being in a job interview. Uh, describe your strengths and weaknesses. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we have enough time. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Just uh, I, I love I love the game of baseball. Like I said, I, I I've always loved uh, radio. I might have might have actually fallen in love with radio first, yeah. and then baseball after that. And uh, w- was really lucky to figure out what I wanted to do at a young age. And I have dedicated my life to trying to get to this point. And uh, it goes all the way back to to questions I would ask as a kid of of people that were doing it for a living. I mean, I asked. Denny Matthews, I had a chance to meet him and somewhat kept in touch with Did him. Did you do the impression for him? Oh, yeah. I've had to do that a few times. That is terrifying. For him? Paralyzing. <laughs> that's what a, was the reaction? That's a good story, actually. Well, um, come on with it. So we're um, when I was working for the team called the Kansas City T-Bones, our public address announcer had been a longtime Kansas City radio guy. He did news for a long time, so he knew a lot of the people involved with the Royals. He takes me up to have lunch in the stadium, basically like our cafeteria, the press dining, yeah. with one of the former Royals announcers, Fred White. And his name was Randy Birch. And Randy goes, Tommy, you got to do your Denny impression for Fred. Th- those two were partners for 25 years. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine. It's Fred. That's easy enough. So I do it. And he goes, oh, that's, that's really good. we got to take you into the booth so you can do that for the boys. <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm, I'm like, well, this is early on in lunch, so I'm like, he'll forget by the time it, it gets around to it. No. Lunch wraps up. And I'm talking, we're at this point, probably five minutes to first pitch. He takes me into the booth, introduces me to Denny and Ryan. And, and I had met both of them, but, you know, you know how that goes. And uh, Fred goes, Denny, Tommy here has a really good impression of you. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, this is terrible. This is this is a guy I've looked up to. A lot of times, people take an impression as you know a little offensive, yeah, you know, kind of mocking, which is it was pure admiration. Um, but we are literally, this is how close to first pitch we were. They were in the last break before first pitch, so they're getting ready to start the game, and here I am. This I I don't know how old I was. I was maybe junior in college or whatever and all I I was so nervous all I could muster was and gone Sweeney (laughs) that was it I was so nervous (laughs) Ryan Lefevre looks back and goes that may be the best Denny Matthews we have heard 
<laughs> I so badly wanted to say, all right, thanks, Ryan. And then, because <laughs> that's how he starts every game. Now for the play-by-players, the voice of the Royals, Denny Matthews. All right, thanks, Ryan. Royals and Twins today. And then he goes into it. But I was, I, I was so nervous. I Ugh. was frozen up big time. Were you nervous opening day? What would it be? Last year, I guess. The years are they're blending together. Well, like I can promise COVID you. Thing. I can promise you. I've been nervous for all three opening days <laughs> I've been here, and they've all been uniquely different. Because uh, the first year, you know, I was Marty's filling, mo- just really doing the post game show yeah. and, and filling in. And you talk about feeling like a fish out of water. It's my first time in the big leagues, not having a clue ever where to go. I mean, everything <laughs> is new, so that's terrifying. Um, and then last year, with everything revolving around COVID, we're just so happy to have baseball. Sure, I was nervous, but I was nervous for a litany of reasons, and not the least of which was doing the game and, you know, that being, quote, unquote, my first year. But also, how is this going to be without fans? What's it going to be like? Are you still going to be able to have that same energy and excitement? And then this year, it's the first year with fans, even though it was, you know, what, what were we at? 20%, I think, to start the season around yeah. there. Um, but it was still nervous because this is the first time I'm doing an opening day broadcast with fans in the stands. Right. And hopefully next year, it'll be the first opening day with a packed house. Oh, so. <laughs> can't wait for that. We'll be Goodness. four for four that I will be terrified <laughs> to start the season. You and Jeff uh, do a great job, and I think that you, you guys are already popular, but – Cowboy makes it easy, does he not? He does. I mean, it, it, it's – I think about it a lot. I mean, I think it, it – things have gone um, much better than I could have ever imagined, and, and he's why. And there is no question that he is the reason why. I could not ask for a better guy to work with. Uh, you, you talked about how well you and I get along. Jeff and I get along just as well. And, and I think it's, it's kind of the same – same reasons. We have the same passions. Jeff and I, well, and you, all love food. <laughs> we love to go out to eat. Uh, but we also have a genuine love for the game of baseball. And I, it, it's fun because we don't always agree on everything with regards to the game. But I also like that. But more often than not, we do kind of see eye to eye yeah. with, with, with um, how we feel about different things and different elements with regards to the game. I don't care how long you've been around this game. You're never going to know everything. And especially as somebody that never played it at the highest level, let alone even the minor leagues, you're just not going to see the game the same way. And to have him there to bounce questions off of, regardless of how stupid you may sound or how mundane the question may be, you're going to get a really interesting, thoughtful answer in response. And it's so much fun to just sit there with him for nine innings a night and pick his brain. I love it. I, I think it's so fun. Nine innings a night, but what about nine innings during the day? Because he <laughs> – Nine innings during the day, you better you better make sure you got good sleep, got fresh coffee ready to go. Well, I mean, for Cowboy. And you're well prepared. He, he is not, he's he's not gonna, a fan of the day no, games. No, 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 Jeff. In fact, Jeff, he would if you could start each game at 10 p.m. Eastern. Perfect. That, that's perfect for him. Right as we love. <laughs> So what is your day of prep like? What, what do you do in, in detail? I was, first of all, that, that was one of the things that stood out to me the most watching Marty is how detail-oriented he was right up to the end. I mean, even his yeah. last game 
he's sitting there filling out all his notes on his in his scorebook and yeah he could have easily mailed it in because right. just because he knows the game so right, much, just right just, in the yeah. names and and you know yeah whatever you know it's all going to be stories for that last week anyway right. so what difference it make how many doubles a guy has in the last day of the year so yep. that that always that will always stand out to me all right i hope you're enjoying our conversation with tommy thrall and it will continue after this message from western and southern financial group Congratulations, you found that special someone to spend the rest of your life with. You two will have lots of new adventures and some new responsibilities. So now's a good time to think about life insurance to help protect your new family. At Western and Southern Life, we translate what's complicated to help make life insurance simple. It's easy to get started. Connect with one of our financial representatives today at westernsouthern.com life. Compensated endorser, Western and Southern Life Insurance Company, Cincinnati, Ohio. I'll be honest with you. I think preparation is something that I really struggle with, always have. Um, one, because I've never really understood how to truly prepare for a baseball game, Certain, more so when I was younger. I have a better idea now, but now I, I got such a late start at actually preparing that it's – it's tough. Uh, it sounds ridiculous, but it, it's 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 really true. I mean, um, I think when I first got to the Southern League, other guys used to look at my scorecard and say that that's it. That's all you got on there is the names. Like you just you basically filled out the lineup. That's it. <laughs> oh, I have where they're playing defensively. How about that? Um, but no, all kidding aside, I, I I mean I have ramped it up. Obviously, since then, but but it was it was really while I was in the Southern League that I I really dove in on preparation and, and really started to take it more seriously. And I, I I get really embarrassed if there's information on a player that I was at least not aware of in in some way or another. Now I don't get everything in. Uh, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever read is fill the briefcase, but don't feel like you have to empty it. And so for me, preparation goes back to the off season. And you have a good idea of who the players are. So update your information on each player on every team that you're going to play. So that way, when you play them, you've got background information on everybody. And that's where the stories come in. You know, um, this guy's grandpa played in the big leagues. Uh, he went to this school to be uh, a vet. You know, things like that. You know, that's, that's all, the, all that background information on players. That Most of that's done in the offseason. But then – Day to day, I'll get up. Uh, I watch a lot of MLB Central. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's an entertaining morning show, but it also keeps you up to date with what's going on around baseball. Um, so I'll watch that while I have a cup of coffee in the morning. Morning or noon? Or, well, or... Late, late morning. <laughs> I say morning. It's like 1130. <laughs> the show starts at 10. I have to DVR it. <laughs> gotcha. So... Um, but I'll watch that and then I'll go over some, you know, I'll read some articles about who we're playing, try to Google as many articles as I can find. And yeah. like we're, we're doing this during the Rockies series. So I'll look up some articles on the Rockies. Um, and then once you get closer, it, it, I mean, the lineups come out at like two o'clock. So then you start writing in the lineups. I want batting average home runs, RBIs on my sheet, plus stolen bases, what for what average with runners in scoring position doubles triples all that's on there and I try to put everybody's errors on there catchers throwing statistics so that's the score sheet alone and that takes a little while um mainly because I'm really slow at everything that I do I mean 
<laughs> I'm not winning any races on anything that's work-related at all. Um, so that takes that takes a little while, and then I'll, I'll read up on the starting pitcher, um, try to figure out who's hot for each team, because then I want to write notes down, uh, relevant notes on what guys are doing right now on, on my score sheet. Because, uh, like I said, all the background information, that's on my computer. I've got that. That's all. I click on their name. Boom, there's all their information. So what have they been doing? If a guy's on a hit streak, I want that in there. If a guy's cold, I want that on there. And then I write that next to their name and their stats on the score sheet. And hopefully by that point, we're ready for baseball. And I like to talk to the other broadcasters, too. Once we get back to traveling, what's going no, on? No, that's huge team. to learn it's, about the other team. That is imperative. essential, and, especially what's going on right at that moment. And we've missed that oh. big time. I don't have everybody's phone Believe numbers me, around the league. Know, some of the dark side's traveling. <laughs> the uh, TV guys, not so much yet. <laughs> you guys ever. will be there soon. I don't know. I hope. Which I it hope. just makes it tough. We anyway. miss you guys on the road. Yeah, I mean, sure you do. Yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to me whine and cry. <laughs> like, I have anything to complain about. When uh, you go on the team charter, it is ridiculously nice because it's – Big plane. It's only the Reds team. They you get on a bus at the stadium. They take you right to the stairs. Don't don't even go in the airport. Take you right to the stairs of the plane. You go on the plane. That first get, time I was like, "Is the bus going to hit the wing?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. You get off the plane in the city. There's a bus waiting for you. Bus takes you to the door of the hotel. They give you a key to the hotel. You go in. And it's a nice hotel. There's food served on there. Snacks everywhere. Snacks everywhere. You don't have to do the normal TSA type things. It's ridiculously nice. It spoils you. The first time you got on that plane, did you think back to all those bus rides in the minor leagues and think, wow, this is ridiculously nice? Yeah. I, I mean, I, talk about feeling out of place. Like, you don't want to. Hold on. We got a menu? <laughs> I can or is this any of this is this is it is it a bad look to order off this or like am I supposed to give me it all um yeah. yeah no it was um I was I was really nervous that those are the types of things you know when you're when you're broadcasting a game that's what you've always done so that's I'm probably more comfortable doing that than being around a big league team and being on the team charter like that was that was very I felt very out of place during that because you do, there's so many things, especially if you're like me and you overthink every little detail that you don't need to. Yeah. Uh, where do I sit? How do I sit? Do I need to buckle my seatbelt? When are they going to go through the, the, the pre-flight checklist? Oh, we're on the air. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and so, uh, yeah, it, it was just um, – it was all very eye-opening to me. And then, you know, you're just kind of walking on eggshells yeah. at the same time. So it took me a little while before I finally got comfortable being on a team charter. And, and now then, when you go commercially, you're like, I got to stand in line? Wait, what? what? Is, what? I have to get my bag checked? <laughs> what? What's going on? You're going to weigh it? Yeah, it's, it, you get uh, ridiculously spoiled. Yeah, you do. But, but you're right. It took a while to get comfortable. And that, once I got comfortable, then it was a little easier to go back and think, that was a that was a long flight, five hours. Oh, that's I was we're only ha halfway to Knoxville by now. <laughs> yes. What were some of the longest bus rides? What I did. Uh, well, this is this goes back to college. We did um, 
we would do a spring trip with the college baseball team every year. And I traveled. I traveled. I did not play baseball, uh, but I did their broadcast and traveled with the. We had a spring trip every year. One year we went to Savannah from Maryville, Missouri to Savannah, Georgia. Oh, it's like 20 hours. Okay, I don't want to do a month in the minor leagues. And then we did another one. I think it was my last year. We went to Pensacola from Maryville on a bus. You take two buses, and it's it, brutal. And But the it's, buses are packed. It's not a sleeper bus. There's no. no, it's no just this a, is Division Two college baseball. <laughs> no. no. You're just hoping the thing runs the whole way there. Um, uh, no, I, but once I got into the minor leagues, when I was in indie ball, we would bus from Kansas City up to Winnipeg. Up in Canada. That was about 10 hours. Winterpeg, one of the Winter. coldest places I've ever been. Yeah, it's yeah. It was nice cuz it was summertime and by the time the season started it was warm yeah. pretty much everywhere. But our short here's the the best part, that league, the shortest trip was like 8 hours. Gosh. Yeah, I, I'm not good with long car rides. By the time I was done in that league, uh, the league had changed so much that I think like the Chicago area was the closest. How do you have time? You are into pop culture as much as anyone I've ever seen, and particularly TV shows, funny TV shows, movies. How the heck do you have time for all this? You do these hours of research. You're a dad. You're a play-by-play guy. You do a multitude of things. You have gigs nationally with CBS, et cetera. How do you have time to watch TV? So a lot of my TV watching first came in the minors because we were on the bus. Yeah. You know, you we'd be on the bus for some of these trips were 10, 11 hours. And when I first got in the minor league baseball, first of all, in A-ball, there was one bus. Everybody was on one. And it was still the era of the DVD player there's going to be one movie on. It's probably going to be an action film. It could be a comedy. It's going to be loud as heck. You cannot have a phone conversation. Right. And everyone's watching that movie. By the time I got to AAA, there are two buses. There's the quiet bus that most of the coaching staff is on, some of the older players, the guys that just are very chill. Yeah. And then there's the party bus. <laughs> and uh, generally somebody in my role is – while you're you're trusted, you're still arms like your media. You're like you know, you go on there with the nerds over yes, there. Yes, and uh, <laughs> and so which I I like to have a good time. I don't think I would do well on the party bus. No. Um, so it was smart for me to be on the quieter bus. And when you're on that bus, there there is a DVD player. They don't use it. Everybody's on their own device. You know, by 2013, everybody had their own tablet, phone. A bunch right. of guys would have PS4 units that were attached to monitors. They would plug in, yeah. and they would set up their own little LAN. Um, so what am I going to do for 10 hours? Like, I could do research. You know, there's Wi-Fi on the bus for you know, do my notes for three or four hours. I can't sleep. I cannot sleep on the bus or in a plane. I can't either. I can't sleep sitting up. It's it, There's been very few times that I can sleep. The only time I've ever slept on a plane is when I have all three seats and I kind of, you know, I'm like six, three. So I kind of wedge myself in there in the three seats and I've fallen asleep that way. But I can't. I can't sleep. These other people that do it. I, I, I'm so amazed and I'm, I'm envious. I'm right there with you. And, uh, and, and that's really how it started. And it started then with everything being on DVD. You know, I was at first a Netflix guy and then Blockbuster actually had a great deal going for a while where you could get two at once. You could return it in person to the Blockbuster, right. get another physical disc from them in the moment, and they'd mail the next one out to you. Um, and I just burned through TV shows. 
doing that. And that's kind of what started it. And then when I was home, I was looking for something to do with my wife. Uh, this is before we had our child that we could kind of share in the experience. Yeah. So we would choose shows to watch together. And that would be one of the things we would do for, you know, one episode a day or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's really where it started. And, uh, and you know, right now, my family's still out east. Our daughter only just finished second grade on Tuesday. My wife is still working for another week or two. Um, so that I have even more time. I mean, it, especially once what's helped a ton is once we see the same teams more than once. You know, yeah. you get the third Cardinal series, the fourth Cardinal right. series. I don't have to spend nearly as much time. I'm just updating little nuggets. I don't right. have to do that same deep dive. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for you real, you youngsters out there, when he said blockbuster, we're not talking about a blockbuster trade. Just Google blockbuster <laughs> video. Because <laughs> there used to be a thing where you had to go physically get the disc or the VHS tape in my era. Um, so, yeah, it's a little different. All right, let's talk pop culture here. You you. If you're going to list your top shows, what do you got? All time? All time. Um, all time. I loved The Wire. I Great loved... show. Great show. Oh, McNulty. Oh. Omar. Oh, um, yeah. Just a gr- And I was late to the party on The Wire. I was too. I was late. I, I watched it later. I did not watch it when it was out. And, you know, I, I should add one other detail is that part of the reason also how I got exposed to some of these shows is the other announcers that were in the minors because they yeah. were going through the same circumstances. Yeah. So we would wind up talking about like, oh, have you seen this series? Oh, this yeah. series is amazing. And then a bunch of us in the same league would start watching at the same time so that when we're in each town with each other, we can have open conversations and not worry about the other one not having seen right. it. Um, yeah, and that's that came about as a suggestion from another announcer uh, that – opened my eyes to oh, a I was late world. to the party. I don't know why. I thought it was like a prison a series about prison. Oz was, which I, was on right I got him mistaken. Time. I I thought Oz was the wire for some reason and forever and then when I started watching I'm like, how did I miss this show? This might be my favorite of all time. This is unbelievably good. Yeah, it's that's definitely on my my Mount Rushmore. Um Battlestar Galactica's on there. Wow. The the most recent oh, one was excellent. The uh the, the the pilot made for TV movie is sensational. Yeah. The writing is just incredibly good. Um you know, I, I love uh The Office and Parks and Rec. Both sensational. I I've, I've rewatched each multiple times. Um uh You're a South Park guy, I know, right? I do lo- I do like South Park. Uh I, I love The Simpsons. Family Guy and South Park. There's no reason why you can't like all of them. Yes. There are people who are in some camp. It's it so is. stupid. It is. really is. Yeah. <laughs> I thought South Park is a show that was amazing and groundbreaking. I was in college when I, I remember watching like the short about you know, Jesus and Santa fighting. And it was just, it was like hysterical. And, uh, and it was irreverent and very vulgar and crass, but still had some, you know, smarts to it. And then it did, in my opinion, it kind of petered out. I stopped watching. And then they found a way to turn around the shows so fast yeah. that they were hitting super topical ideas. And I don't know how it'll hold up for repeat viewing years and years from now, yeah. but it got great again. Yeah. No, it really did because they started uh, – and they're really good at, at what's going on 
then in society to mix that in. Uh, they're just, uh, I mean, the brilliance of the writing is is fantastic. It, it got a lot smarter. Yeah. A lot smarter. I mean, Simpsons did too. You know, Simpsons was pretty sophomoric and it was really centered around Bart, you know, in Calabunga, Don't Have a Cowman. And I loved it. And, you know, I, I watched it on TV when it first yeah. came on. It was Tracy Ullman and then when it, it got a standalone spot. And then they shifted the focus to Homer. And then it got a lot smarter. And the people that wrote on that show are next level amazing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It really is. So another best of in the books. And once again, thank you to Tommy Thrall and John Sadak for the time they gave this podcast. And the biggest thanks, though, goes out to you for, again, bringing us into however you listen to podcasts. We thank you so, so much. And until next time, We'll see you on down the road, everyone. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.